0: Welcome to The Wealth Intersection with Megan Gorman. In this program, you'll hear fascinating stories from science, technology, finance, and the arts. Learn how dynamic individuals created their paths to success and the wealth intersections that occurred. It's where you might just find the answers on how you can pursue your passion while creating the necessary foundation to build personal wealth. And now, here is Megan Gorman.
1: Hi, I'm Megan Gorman, and welcome to The Wealth Intersection. Today, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, or AI. Now, who hasn't heard of AI? I mean, we talk about it all the time in movies and on TV and in the workplace, and I consider myself a fairly educated person, and I think... If we had to talk about how much I knew about AI, that would last about 10 seconds. So what we want to do today is bring in probably one of the preeminent experts on AI to talk about it from what it is as a concept to what it is as an investment concept. So I'd like to welcome Eric Daimler to the show. Eric is CEO and founder of Conexus. Uh, Dr. Eric Daimler is a leading authority in robotics and artificial intelligence with over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur, an investor, technologist, and policymaker. He served under the Obama administration as a presidential innovation fellow for AI and robotics in the executive office of president, as the sole authority driving the agenda for U.S. leadership in research, commercialization, and public adoption of AI and robotics, A frequent speaker, lecturer, and commentator, Eric works to empower communities and citizens to leverage robotics and AI to build a more sustainable, secure, and prosperous future. Eric, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Megan. Good to be here.
1: Thanks. It's a gorgeous day today in San Francisco. We got some good weather. It is. It's finally summer in October. So, So it was interesting when I was starting to... Learn more about AI. One of the things I found interesting was that the concept of artificial intelligence isn't something that's brand new. It's been around since probably the mid 50s.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I think what would be really helpful is it's sort of just to talk about what is AI, you mm. know, from a sort of a basic, broad structure.
3: Yeah, yeah. So the, it's, a, it's a great question, really, because often People are, think that they should know what it means and then they hear these other terms machine learning deep learning or what have you and they don't really know how to place any of these things and, and that confusion is really understandable because the term itself actually has shifted uh, you know when it first got invented I think it was back at a conference it's credited with having gotten started at, at Dartmouth with this group of individuals who thought that they would take on a summer project uh, it, it came to soon mean after you know that initial disappointment this type of expert system, just this, this a mm-hmm. database of knowledge that we could uh, uh, inquire into and and get answers back. Uh, When I first started in this industry, we thought of AI as really anything in research. And then once we solved a research problem for existence, some degree of voice recognition, it then would become just another tool. It's come since the last 20 years or so, maybe since the popularization of deep learning, to mean something else, to mean this learning algorithm. And and so learning algorithm, if you're going to be pedantic, it actually (laughs) is uh, a type of AI. It is also so even a type of machine learning which itself is a type of AI and then if you wanted to go deeper, pun intended, deep learning is a subset of machine learning, which then is a subset of AI, but there are non-machine learning AIs, which are generally the expert systems. So that's the technical definition, which <laughs> I wouldn't even uh, expect you to remember five minutes from now. Uh, but yet, this is really what you'll hear in the discourse, is people talking about these learning algorithms. And then, uh, you know, even confusing uh, ML and, and AI, they really uh, doesn't, any, for any practical reason, deserve any any sort of distinction. Uh, most conversations, I have a better uh, uh, con- interpretation to try on, uh, and that's what I invite uh, you or your listeners to 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 experiment with in their daily life. And it's this: AI is a system that starts with sensing, then planning, and then acting and then learning from the experience, looping over and over. Okay. Sense, plan, act, and then learn from the experience. Now, that actually is a technical definition of a robot. So I'm not really inventing anything new here. I'm saying this is how we think of robots, and this is how computer scientists like myself have always thought of these technologies inside of this totality of a system. But that sort of definition actually can help reframe listeners to understand the the, the panoply of new innovations that are coming about and where they might fit in implementations into our companies and and, and inside of our communities.
1: So, so, I mean, just in listening to you briefly, this idea of sense, plan, act, it's almost a very succinct way of thinking about it. And, And actually, just you using those three words has created a lot more clarity for me in what I should expect AI to be.
3: Yeah, and, and, and the discourse right now is only on this planning part, and even worse, it's just in the narrow definition of the planning part, because in inside planning, you'd have compute, you'd have storage, you'd have networking, mm-hmm. all of those have been transfer, transformed over the past generation or two, and, and enable many of the tools we see today, but we focus on just the learning algorithms inside that one part of the whole system, and it's it's as if, if, if you analogized AI to the transportation ecosystem, w- that we're we're focusing on cylinder heads, or even the spark plugs within cylinder heads, and, 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 and I don't even really know how that works, and yet I can drive a car just fine. Right. It doesn't impair my ability to talk about the whole transportation system that I can't describe uh, with precision, you know, how the pistons go up and down, or the difference between a V8 and a V10 and an inline-six, like, I don't care, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we often talk about AI as new electricity. You'll, yep. you'll hear that in the discourse. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't do anything for you. If I started talking about the difference between alternating and direct current and the tension between Tesla and Edison's battle for <laughs> supremacy of AC and DC, doesn't matter for my understanding of, of the utility system, of, of the, the total energy system. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, so I, I, that's why I really invite uh, this broader interpretation. It's one of the reasons I invite the broader interpretation of AI since Plan Act and learn from the experience.
1: So let's take a step back because... You know, how does one even get into AI? I mean, were you the kid growing up who was building a robot in your parents' basement, you know, out of out of cardboard? Like, I mean, how did you get on this path? Because one of the things that I've learned in looking at AI is there's very few people like you. <laughs> Who are experts in this?
3: I think it's, it's it's kind. Of, I, there are a lot of really smart people in this domain um, uh, that, that deserve mention. Andrew Ng uh, at Stanford. He was a, a former colleague of mine at Carnegie Mellon. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, Kai-Fu Lee had a terrific book, AI Superpowers. Uh, also terrific. We, we we shared an advisor. Um, uh, these are a lot of smart people in an AI, but, but thank you. I I, uh, I was unusual. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, you know, I I did not have a, um, a basement like many other people would have basements growing up my my basement was full of my dad's radio equipment okay Uh, (laughs) he, he uh uh, you know, he was an engineer by trade, and, and we, he, he in, his, in his spare time, still did engineering. So we had all this uh, gear uh, for him to do uh, amateur radio. It's colloquially okay. known as ham radio. Yeah. And, and this involved having a, a, a three-story tall antenna in our backyard. Uh, among the <laughs> trees, uh, fortunately, it, it camouflaged them somewhat, because otherwise the neighbors may have gotten a little upset. Uh, but the, the, the power of the gear that, that uh, enabled that radio, that antenna to do something was, you of know, Just what was part of part of my life? How my how my father and I bonded, and
1: uh, and so when I
3: was nine, I did get a computer uh, that I put together, and I remember soldering irons being involved. (laughs) So (laughs) I I have been doing this for quite some time, and I um, uh, you know I chose my universities based on their expertise, literally in robotics and AI. Even you know this was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like at a certain point it just clicked with you in sort of how. AI, the thinking that has to go behind it. Right. So so for me, I
3: when I got that computer, I, I had this sense of freedom that uh, I will often hear
0: from generations prior that they experienced with automobiles. I never
3: hid this feeling with a car, but I, mean, I can still feel goosebumps when I think about my first computer. And I thought, this is a powerful tool uh, yeah. because it's not like, uh, you know, kitchen utensils with which I was obviously you know, familiar to some extent, that this had these, this power that was hidden to me and I had to, I had to work to reveal the power. And even at nine, I mean, I remember this viscerally thinking, oh, this is gonna get really big. Like, I, get, I mean, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that, that we're gonna uh, in, you know, increase storage by, by, by X amount or, or anything with regard to Moore's law, but I definitely sensed, oh, this is gonna get better.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, so is that why? Like, I've heard, I've seen you speak uh, online and so on, and you have a quote, and I'm not going to say it very elegantly, but it's something along the lines of in 1999, back when you know we were going through the first tech boom, the internet was underhyped. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you sort of say, well, today AI is a bit underhyped, which sounds crazy because everywhere you turn, you see it. Right. But when you talk about the story from childhood about understanding the power of it. That sort of puts that quote in context.
3: Mm. Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't me that said the Internet was, under, under, it was a quote it was popularized by John, John Doerr, the, the famous venture capitalist, uh, uh, and at the time it did sound crazy. And sound, well, The reason it sounded crazy at the time was because we had already experienced a huge boom. This was, he said. This not at the beginning of the internet boom, which may be a bit more prescient. But he said closer to the end, 1999, 2000, when people were already getting exhausted or skeptical uh, about that boom. And you know, 20 years later, it's proved to be right because uh, you look at the largest companies uh, by capitalization on the Nasdaq, and there are all, other all technology companies. Even a decade, it wasn't like that. Two decades ago, it certainly was not like that. The issue with AI. Is I'm not trying to just be provocative in saying well I just agree with what John Dora have taken at a generation newer uh, what I say is it's actually underhyped and it's underhyped in a particular way okay. because not not all AI is underhyped I would say the autonomous vehicle community of AI that's overhyped I think the, the, the problem here is is the, the age-old uh, investor wisdom that we should not confuse a clear vision with a short time horizon okay? So we can all see. Oh, when we see an automobile, that's just going to get better. Just like I'm thinking when I saw the computers, it's really easy to see when automobiles. Well, it's got, it's a little bit automated. It'll get very automated. We see uh, the Teslas we've 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 been in and driven. Uh, the autonomous uh, capability has gotten better even over the last couple of years. It's nowhere close to a to a moving couch down 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 the freeway, but you know it's definitely got better. But the problem is people then say, well, I'm going to believe Elon Musk's annual quote about, annual claim about autonomous vehicles being here in another year. And I've done that, but he right. said that every year for the like last three to five years. Right. What's right? <laughs> the <some> point? it'll <laughs> um, be right? <laughs> so we all confuse it, say, "Oh, it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner." That's not true. I think, to some extent, maybe that's an investment house of cards. People are going to be disappointed with the returns. But there are other areas of AI that are that are completely overlooked, often because they're just not as they're not as um, uh, visually interesting. I guess mm-hmm. nothing. Few, few things are other than rockets, perhaps. Uh, right. So there's other domains of AI, and it's and it's even gets even more complex or hard to grasp. When we think of combinations of technologies. How are these going to integrate with each other? And trying to imagine that sort of future—that's very difficult to to see two, three, even let alone five or ten years from now. But that's that—that's where I say is uh, uh, AI is underhyped. You know, Bill Gates has, has said that uh, you know AI, the AI revolution in general, is going to create ten Microsoft. That's. Mm-hmm. That's kind of unimaginable about what that would actually look like in our daily life. What sort of tools would be around us to justify companies of that consequence coming from this one domain of technology?
1: So as AI expands, explains to me the importance of good data, right? You've gotta have good data to start. Is yeah. this so so
3: yeah. talk yeah. me
1: through this because you talk about this revolution, but you know, I I'm in an industry where we always say garbage in, garbage out, right? Yeah. So how does it, important is to start with good data to to have the right things happen with AI?
3: Boy, we could talk for, for a whole day about the way in which data is <laughs> going to be really uh, a important. big deal, and it's it's unappreciated. You know, IBM says that some uh, majority of AI projects fail because of the underappreciation of data. If you think of the whole sense plan act metaphor, the the, the, the problem is we need to be looking at the sensing. We need to be looking at the, the, the data. Uh, but in the planning part, in the in the narrow part of that called the, the learning algorithm, that's actually where most people spend their time. They, they may, may, may maybe spend 80% of their time on the learning algorithm and 20% on the data, and it really should be reversed if you're implementing an AI system. And it's hard to do because... People, a lot of people actually just don't know how to think about the data for, for uh, a company implementation, and, and therefore it's difficult to dedicate resources to it. So if we look at that sensing, look at the data, there's many different ways in, in which this can become garbage. It can become corrupted, uh, okay. is how we might say it. Uh, and and it, it can become corrupted in a lot of different ways. So the one way that's in the popular press is the degree to which the data is biased. Okay. And, and even that... Is is you know, fraught with nuance, fraught fraught with complexity. So, uh, I, I was dealing with a drug database with a, f- a group of pharmaceutical companies, and they found that there was some uh, drug testing uh, upon which some successful drugs were were built, that uh, it completely left out race. It just mm-hmm. left out. It just wasn't part of the uh, of the testing. wasn't part of the equation when we when the surveys were done. Um, and so now uh, the, the finding is that there's a severe reaction from this one drug among uh, certain uh, underrepresented population. Uh, uh, first of all, that's a tragedy. But then second of all, you know, how do you then correct for that? You know what? What else is lurking in that data? What else is is present back there that we didn't know before? You know that these used to be historically, as we know kind of tested on men, and even then probably mostly white men. Uh, everybody else is like at danger then for side effects of these drugs. This is very scary, and that's not a bias that uh, uh, you know came up. Um, you, know, it, you know, twenty years ago, it's a it's a bias that we've realized it's in the data that appeared with these negative consequences only uh, rather recently, uh, and that's that's rather that's rather scary. Then we have the canonical example of uh, who's going to be the most effective, you know, CEO, pitcher, uh, manager, what have you, and it's based on the past. Well, the past was always white men, therefore the 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 algorithms suggest that that's what the future is. That's that's very difficult to solve, I will say, in okay. a technical way. And this is the problem, actually, with most of my peers who try to address this question: is I, what I hear them doing uh, uh, is I hear them uh, saying, "Well, we will work to address that through technical means." And I I think that's a um, that's fraught with a whole bunch of other other problems, and it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a dangerous, a riskier path. Mm-hmm. I, I think instead, what what's better is to develop a new type of ai authority mm-hmm. in the domain of sensing and biases this is a whole issue to be uh, to be addressed is it
1: an issue that's like like when we look at what's happened over the past 20 years with the internet and facebook right and and this concept of fake news and biases out there is this the same concept you're talking about here where ai can be used in a negative fashion or where and and promote biases? Is that what you're hitting on or so but that could happen in a
3: couple of different ways. That could that what you're describing about Facebook could happen in, in the planning phase or it could happen in the sensing phase. So you know, sensing is really anything uh, that collects data, any way that collects data. So you, your thermometer collects data, the LIDAR on top of your autonomous vehicle collects data, uh, you have air quality that, that is, a, is, a, is a data representation of, of, of data that of was being collected in the air. So, in, any way that data comes in, uh, that's a sensing thing. What we then do with it would be then the planning phase. Got it. Uh, the, the, the part that's scary in in the sensing phases that we can even fool ourselves into a sense of objectivity that I'm being, well, okay, it has biases, but I'm really being scientific in my, in my collection of them processing of data before I send it to the, the planning people. Right. Yeah, But but even then, uh, you know, history uh, as a guide suggests that we can screw that up as well. It was, you know, in, I think in my parents' lifetime that, uh, that racism was justified uh, through the measuring of heads, skull sizes and shapes and so forth. That's, that's the collection of data and that was done with the of science. Uh, and so this, this bias uh, it can happen in a lot of different ways, and I think there humans need to be involved. And the way in which we get involved is open for a community discussion. The, the expression of that involvement will be making sure that the intake and even the methodology of the intake represents our values, represents the values that we want to represent.
1: Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. And how do you – is there a process that, that is being built to create those
0: values,
3: I, I think we need to have a conversation uh, in society about how to represent those values, what those values are. We, you know, we've had this conversation in other domains of our world. We 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 really don't tolerate any amount of mistakes in the FDA, you know, mm-hmm. in the food and drug process. Right? If anyone dies, that's that is uh, uh, such an anathema that that we we we. We, some say, made the trade-off of squelching uh, of innovation because we can't afford, or we've made a decision as a society not to allow for uh, mistakes. Uh, airplanes, very similar. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've had, uh, I think the statistic I, I recall reading was you know, under a 1,000, it was like 700 uh, airplane deaths like in the last decade or something. You know, globally, it's very, very low, right? Uh, relative to automobiles. <laughs> Where we've had 40,000 uh, uh, and increasing deaths just in the United States, motor vehicle, motor vehicle deaths. Yeah. And, and so we as a society have implicitly made these sort of trade-offs. We've implicitly had this conversation uh, about the, about different trade-offs in different, in different domains. We need to have that conversation about what our values are uh, in all the implementations of AI and robotics.
1: So when you think about AI as an investment, right? Because in the high net worth space, right, there is a lot of private equity funds pitching AI, are these some of the questions that potential investors should ask, which is, what are the biases for these companies in putting together these investments?
3: Mm. You know, I, so I have a few things to say about that. For actually uh, making judgments from my experience as an investor and my experience as, a, as an operational executive, uh, I'm going to say that... The, there's been for a while an overinvestment in the tools of AI. Now, this, okay. this comes from somebody that, that sits on a, a board of a few of these companies, and, and I, I like the companies I sit on board of. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're good companies with good platforms. Uh, uh, but I think there's an overinvestment in, in those general domains. What I think is underinvested uh, still is... Uh, applications of AI to particular industries. That's really the next wave. and that's really why where I think AI is is underhyped. It's one of the expressions of of an underhyped AI, that all, all of these traditional industries, and this is what I've been doing since my uh, time in the uh, federal government, all of these industries need to be transformed. right uh, the, the, we, we see hints of this. We see hints that that you know fundamental value is created by the by a proprietary intake of data. Customer relationships, knowledge of a supply chain, what have you, and the unique processing of data. Right? The, the, whatever I do inside of data science to optimize my ads, optimize my customer loyalty program, whatever. That's so that's intake of data, that's processing of data. That means wait, that's that's my proprietary advantage. You know, all the all my. Uh, mechanical physical infrastructure is actually all commoditized then then all these traditional industries in, in almost every domain uh, can become AI companies they need to really transform themselves about how uh, they, they intake data how, what at what volume they're able to to analyze it and then how they're able to express that uh, unique set of, of inputs and, and processes uh, that I think is going to be the transformation and that in every vertical is going to uh, allow for uh, new entrants if, if, if the existing entities don't uh, completely transform themselves. So
1: when an investor is looking at a potential investment, th- these are the ways to be thinking about it, That's much the, more than just the tools.
3: Right. The, 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 the next phase of AI will be the AI technologists' mm-hmm. uh married to domain experts. The earned expertise over a generation or two is now going to be able to be expressed in partnership with those developing AI tools. So that's one whole frame. That's going to be the way in which this happens. My my, uh, opinion about the technology, should someone really want to invest in the technology, is that uh, family offices in particular will be better served looking for fundamental breakthroughs. Breakthroughs in math, breakthroughs in physics, breakthroughs in material science, chemistry, what have you. Because if, you know, family offices will need to ultimately compete with uh, professional investors, venture mm-hmm. capitalists and so forth, um, and uh, in those professional investors, VCs, are really set up to take in a great deal of deal flow, see a lot of different deals, and move very quickly to uh, do whatever necessary to have those companies be uh, uh, successful. Family offices are generally less set up to do that. Family offices are generally set up with a whole bunch of fantastic relationships. Right. Uh, in, with, they, they'll have history in particular industries, they'll have certain fam- Family heritage that that aligns with particular industries, and that suite of relationships can be extremely valuable for customer retention, mm-hmm. customer acquisition, for new, new many of their portfolio companies. That's a that's a different that's an advantage actually. Many of these family offices have over professional venture capitalists, and I think any of the investments should be used to leverage that particular advantage.
1: Now it seems like from what. I've read the two industries that have done well with embracing AI is tech, obviously, but also finance, and that what do you think those two I mean, tech is a little more obvious, but with finance and financial services, why have they embraced it a lot more easily, at least easily than other industries?
3: Yeah, there's a few reasons uh, You know, I think finance actually lends itself to the, uh, the, the type of scale-free notion of digital technologies in general, which is that the technology doesn't work, work, doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work. And then finally when it works, it works infinitely well. And and so we've experienced this with voice recognition where, you know, we, it's been around for a long time, people trying to recognize voices, you know, 20, maybe 30 years of, uh, of this study. But it's only when... Uh, the the efficiency increased to I think it's you know 99.9 percent that we finally said, okay, now I can actually dictate something. If, I don't, know, I remember trying dictation back when it was 90 percent effective. Right. It's useless at 90 percent effective. Sure, very it, true. It even wasn't even helpful at 95 percent effective. So I remember this. It, it's like yeah, it's just too many errors to make it to make it worthwhile. But at 99.9, like, I can handle some errors. I get this is good to go. And then once once that happens, it's like just a solved problem. And now everybody suddenly uses it. You see some technologies now where. The adoption once it works, it's just universal. You know, we, we all wear these uh, darn Apple AirPods, right? Once the <laughs> technology works, it's it's uh, freaking ubiquitous. It's, it's it's kind of silly in that way. It's a, it's fascinating. That that is really how digital technologies works, and that that applies to finances really really well. Once you have the machine learning for trading treasury securities, that's maybe one of the most visible uh, parts that got automated. Uh, uh, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. And then once it happened, you don't need physical treasury traders anymore.
1: Right you now, what industries should be working more towards AI that you think will con- that so far have not done well with embracing AI, but should do better in the future?
3: Mm. You know, I I think this 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 answer is a, it's a fantastic one, and it's going to change with the invention of five G because we are getting overwhelmed with data today, and it's going That's to true. become worse, and and so it we we can single it out by by industry, but we can also single it out by companies. Some, many of these companies are just going to have a really hard time. If they're barely struggling with integrating and migrating data today, uh, oof, if you're 10 times as much, it's just going to break. And those companies are going to be limiting their opportunities. So they... The, you know how we might think of the future is that you know Amazon actually represents more than just a great e-commerce platform or whatever you want to call them that they're actually a, to some extent a template for the, the future of many many companies because they they don't make shoes right they no, don't they make don't. tents right <laughs> they don't make the books right they're just an intermediate between this they take in proprietary data they process it a proprietary way and then they execute it uh, uh, based on those those inputs they they have made the connection between the supplier and the buyer, but seamless. That's fundamentally what they do. That integration of data, that seamless integration of data, takes place in really no other industries.
1: So in some degree, when you think about AI, Amazon should be what a lot of people think about, yeah. right, and how well that they execute upon their strategy.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a physical manifestation of this. I mean, the only other way to do it is you either have a data silo to which you subscribe mm-hmm. or you you have the power like a Walmart where you dictate up and down your supply chain exactly how you're going to do it according to our process. Most people don't live in that world and so they'll need to experiment with the technologies that will enable, to synth- enable them to synthetically create that type of dynamic in their space.
1: So to some degree, Amazon is very good at sensing, planning, and acting.
3: Absolutely. They were the first ones that had a type of systems-level intelligence, which is the term I use for it.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing. Well, Eric, we're going to take a break right here, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a few moments.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to The Wealth Intersection with Megan Gorman. If you have a question or comment about the program, your money, or what it can do for you, please send an email to megan at thewealthintersection.com. That's M-E-G-A-N at thewealthintersection.com. Now, back to the show.
1: to The Wealth Intersection. We're here with Dr. Eric Daimler and we're talking about artificial intelligence today. So as we look at your resume, one of the things that I found really fascinating is that you were a presidential fellow under the Obama administration and that you know President Obama and his team were very focused on this. And, and one of the things that you mentioned to me was that Obama sent you to Appalachia. And a lot of us, I think, who are interested in AI, you know, a lot of us have read things like Hillbilly Elegy, and we are concerned about certain parts of the country. And when you look at some of the statistics or data that comes out about AI, and specifically, I read a report by McKinsey that came out late last year that said AI by 2030 will likely eliminate 15% of jobs worldwide or 400 million jobs. So I sort of took that data point and then juxtaposed it against you going to Appalachia. So, give us an understanding of how ai can transform things for people in environments that are that are struggling right now to Evolve into the 21st century. Mm.
3: Yeah, it's a, it, this is a really rich topic for conversation. I, I first of all I want to thank you for uh, thinking that, that President Obama sent me to Appalachia because it applies we were beer buddies, which I, I, I wish we were. But, uh,
0: <laughs> we all
3: do. Fantastic man, but, um, but I, I, yeah, I went to Appalachia really on um, this uh, the exploratory mission of, uh, uh, of looking with um, the the governor of, of Kentucky. Uh, Bevan and uh, and then Megan Smith who is the uh, the third USCTO and then uh, Ro-, Ro Khanna, the um, uh, congressman from uh, Silicon Valley who's fantastic by the way I uh, really enjoyed spending time with him uh, uh, we, so we all spoke uh, uh, in, in with Kentucky TV as part of this uh, Reconfiguration of the economy that they're exploring uh, with AI and all modern digital technologies brought to a community that you know, traditionally uh, uh, hasn't, um, you know, seen a lot of good economic transformation. What, what was fascinating to me is even though I, I had been to Appalachia before, I'd been to the big cities of Appalachia. I've never been to the countryside, and uh, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, a fair distance actually, kind of up and down, but in the big cities, uh, this was Eastern Kentucky. Uh, it, there was a company there called Interapt, it's still around, it's fantastic. It is a, a testament to good uh, government spending because they, they got a part of their seed funding from the state, they got part of, part of uh, funding from this Appalachian Economic Authority that's sponsored by the federal government who, you know, really by all readings uh, and all uh, that I can find, all reports that I hear from others, is doing really fantastic work in, in furthering the uh, uh, economy of, uh, of that region. It, 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 uh, uh Interrupt is still one of the few companies that have been successful in, in bringing people, let say, into the new economy. What was fascinating to me was the degree to which people were in the eastern Kentucky and still had a cultural affinity to uh, coal mining. Like hmm. the, uh, uh, the the friend who was driving us around had a personalized license plate with you know something to the effect of you know coal is our future or something on the <laughs> license plate and a picture of coal uh, it was it, it added fantastic irony that that particular license plate was about uh, four inches on his car below the Tesla logo. <laughs> 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 um, but, but this it, it spoke to the um, the degree to which a, a c- the community felt like they had they owed something to coal mining uh, uh, you know forgetting everything about black lung. Right. Right. <laughs> Like uh, that, that, that resistance to you know change of any sort is probably just a human condition. Uh, the affinity for their uh, geography, again, probably a human condition. Uh, we can easily look uh, look down upon it or see it as see it as strange, but you know, these people did not even want to go to the big city of 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 Lexington, or or, or Louisville. They wanted to stay in Eastern Kentucky. And this uh, the, this effort and interrupt being successful at retraining many of these people uh, uh, was was uh, enlightening for me. One thing that Interrupt uh, d- I discovered is that you can't really call this work retraining, uh, because you know, retraining somehow implied that uh, the people in this you know, historically underprivileged town would uh, uh, would learn a new skill and then forever be set. Right, and that was what Interrupt had to uh, uh, change in that in that mentality.
1: So they have to learn to be adaptive and the ability to pivot? With what's happening in time? It, it was
3: actually a, it was a sort of a mentality because it uh, that uh, uh, didn't really actually change the curriculum necessarily, but it changed the mindset under which the curriculum was presented. Like, hey, we're teaching you not just a skill, but I want you to pay attention to how you're developing this skill. Because this language, which they're teaching Python, isn't forever uh, based on history of computer languages so you know please take this on as a as an experiment if you will take this on as something you're going to learn for a time and then you need to be in charge of your own education that's a mindset uh, a change that Interact had been successful in implementing uh and that how
1: were they successful in doing that and just continuing to pay for continuing education or oh so Interact's
3: model is that they would bring in people from the population uh, uh into a type of training program that might be familiar to us in any other education education format but it was very high touch with the uh, connection to industry locally for those people to find employment. So it was much more of a, you might even say a community college approach, but it wasn't in the uh, restrictions afforded by the funding mechanisms, or 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 you kind know, uh, of history of community colleges, so they it was it was training for jobs at bit, local companies generally it could have been nationally, but it, in this case it was it was locally. Uh, so large healthcare companies, large insurance companies that needed extra technology adept workers, Interrupt was the intermediary to bring people in from the community to do that.
1: So to some degree, it's the whole idea that, you know, yes, we believe that there'll be some job elimination because of AI, but there will also be some job creation over the next 20, 30 years. And so it sounds like they're trying to shift these people in these sections of the country to be able to pivot and work with those job changes.
3: Yeah. So the the terrific thing about Interact is they, they were successful in Eastern Kentucky, shifting a mindset away from one-time job retraining to this is a new world of learning how to learn. That is just fantastic. The issue of job loss is a different issue and, and, and very important. The, 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 there's several ways in which history suggests that jobs won't be lost and you won't be replaced by a computer, but rather you will be replaced by a human that is facile with the new technology. It's happened for many, many, many years, and if we broaden the definition of not just computers, not digital tech digital technologies, but all sort of automation, mm-hmm. then we can go back a hundred years and we can find that how this t- traditionally works out. So the, the invention of the cotton gin is an example mm-hmm. I, I often go to. Right, right. The, the, that once cotton, the cotton gin was invented, it allowed for uh, dramatically more cotton to Be processed. That didn't uh, then satisfy demand and the price just dropped. It allowed for much more demand because the price dropped. And so the the labor, and the U.S. has a a very very uh, you know, tragic history in how this was actually expressed. But the the labor was then required not for the processing of the cotton, but then for the the, the picking of the cotton because that's actually now where we needed to uh, uh, build up supply that uh, for that supply chain. So this it actually the 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 demand dramatically increased and the the production dramatically increased in the price dropped That that is what automation generally does and so the argument about job loss in AI is probably not an absolute uh, it, there, there's actually an argument to say that jobs overall won't change that job number won't change it's just the reconfiguring of the jobs will be dramatic
1: well then then if I think about automation right what is the one thing automation doesn't have and that is EQ right Emotion, the emotional part of it you know you talked in the earlier segment about family offices and they're about relationships so, if you're someone who wants to work in the AI system, having really strong EQ sounds like that will help you propel forward because that's going to be a skill that's really sought after.
3: yeah there, there's there's a lot of uh, nuances to it to the the, the beautiful um, uh, comment you made. And so one is I would say, uh, eQ or empathy, that is not something we're going to be able to reproduce. <laughs> <In time laughs> but but I might even more generally I, I, I think back to this uh, this game show uh, it was a board game rather uh, called Scruples and it, it talked about what's moral what's immoral or it depends. Uh, we might look to say what's fundamentally human what is automatable and then what what it, it depends. So in some sense cooking is automatable but then I like to cook sometimes so is it fundamentally human? Well probably not because occasionally I, I buy food buy different types of food. But, uh, and is it is it uh, so? It's it's both fundamental. It's not fundamentally human, but it is kind of automatable. But but then we might say it depends. I would look to nurture whatever those those human characteristics are. Uh, you know, Daniel Kahneman talks about uh, thinking fast and slow, mm-hmm. and so there is a part of. Uh, our our thinking that we don't care about automating. I don't. I don't. I'm not threatened that my calculator can compute di- uh, division faster than uh, faster than I can. Uh, I don't think of myself as less of a person. Uh, that those sort of augmentations will occur increasingly. and We just want to be uh, for our own future. Just looking to uh, bolster whatever is human about our interaction with these. How can I bring judgment? To these, to these interactions, and certainly human relationships are, are
1: part of that. Well, I think you bring up a good point. You know, in the financial services industry today, there's a huge debate, right? I mean, headlines the past week is Schwab, E-Trade have cut costs. Everything's very automated in terms of investing, right? We're, we're, most investors now are passive investors. But there is this whole debate out there that ultimately some of the services needed in financial services in a relationship – are things that only humans can provide. And so I think that that is a good industry to look at because I think they're ahead of the curve versus other industries.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I, and, and how I'd imagine this whole space evolving, it's pretty easy to see, is you're just going to have an increasing number of tools for you to then be able to have a conversation with clients and clients with you. But, you know, we, none of us are threatened by the existence of Excel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need it. We need it. But it's actually yeah. displaced you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of jobs of so people that used to do that sort of work Manually, so I think continually looking at what's in our financial world, what's in a, 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 all of the thinking for which we would we bring in advisors, is 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 auto, is, is, is augmented, I might say, with tools or ones in which I, I fundamentally want a person to be interacting with me.
1: So when you think of the generational cohorts, you know Gen Z, millennials, very obvious adapters, right? To AI, this is with the world that they've grown up in. How do you see AI? impact Impacting the older Gen Xers and the Boomers, and, and even some of the Silent Generation, because they're living a lot longer.
3: Yeah, I mean, there was a there, there, there there's one some framework that people talk about with technology. They'll say uh, uh, if any technology that's invented up until uh, I'm I'm 15 is part of the natural. Order of things, it's yeah. uh, part of nature. Anything that's invented between the time I'm, uh, you know, 15 and, and 30 is is technology that maybe I'll be able to make a career around. But any technology that's invented after I turned 30, it's against the law of nature, <laughs> against the order <laughs> of the universe. You know, just resist it at all costs.
1: It sounds like the same thing with music back in the day, right? Yeah, Anything after yeah, you were 30. Yeah. I think the New Yorker years ago had an article saying 26 was the age at which your musical taste froze, which is sort of horrifying. We'll
3: talk about that. How you dress as well, people will tend to dress uh, uh, representing the era that they consider to be the best time of their life. Uh, <laughs> so we just as humans just and only won't experiment terribly often. Right. Uh, and, and so that's often what I'll encourage people to do is just continue to experiment with these technologies. You, you won't, be replaced by a computer. You'll be replaced by a person using a computer better than you, because why? You are probably resistant to experimenting. You know, they, they're, they're, there's a lot of tension around this. You know, in the medical profession, the the most innovative physicians are the ones right out of uh, medical school or right out of residency, but they're not the most experienced physicians. So there really is a balance between having somebody maybe 10 year out of residency that has some, a lot of experience with clients, uh, and then someone just out of residency, but then if you're 20 years out and you've just been doing continuing it, you might actually be pretty detached from from the latest technology and you're just trying to clock in uh, whatever best practices you were told. That Tension, I think, will continue uh, to manifest, but I think it may actually get worse. You know, one of the, the natures of AI, what, what's different about yeah. AI from every other technology is not this, this rate of change we keep talking about, because we've had a right. rate of change forever, yeah. right? There's it's, only that's thing that's certain all, is think, change. Saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we, we've been talking about that for, for as long as I've been alive, that what's different about AI is the abruptness of the change. What do
1: you mean by that?
3: When, when, something, when something changes, when a job gets eliminated, when a suite of jobs gets eliminated, all the jobs get eliminated, and they get eliminated tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's just Once we were able to duplicate what a treasury trader mm-hmm. did, we just don't need treasury traders. It's not like we, we, needed, we went from 20 to 5. We, need, we went from 20 to 0. Or maybe one overseeing all the computers, but we just we don't need the function anymore, and there's no warning.
1: Well, and it's it's almost like you take the the story you told about Appalachia and, and Eastern Kentucky, and you apply it to the to the entire world. Um, we all have to be able to pivot and adapt. And I think one of the challenges out there is boomers, and this is getting a lot of press right now in Next Avenue and a lot of the and AARP, is there's a lot of boomers that don't want to retire or can't retire. But they're being aged out because they can't keep up. Mm. So it sounds like like you're talking about with that abruptness, the ability to pivot and continue to learn allows you to move with AI.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I think in, in many of these cases, it's really smart to continually be experimenting with technology. Uh, uh, just w- what's coming next? Help try, try to then visualize in one's head what what other things are then going to come in six months or a year. How could I see this this playing out? And those sort of thought experiments, I think, are really critical. Just very remaining relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think. Uh, and this may be because I'm, I'm no longer 30. It is uh, it, it, continuing to look at where uh, wisdom can be of value, where relationships can be of value. You know, I, it's not all about uh, uh, being a digital native. It's not all about uh, needing to use these tools. There, there is, can be quite a bit of experience that is, um, is worth, worth, worthy of, uh, 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 of people over 30. Uh, but it's, it's the ability to use these tools. It's a facility of using these tools. So, uh, uh, you know, the most common example, and we're not even talking about AI here. Is you know, I, I remember I was I was interacting with some um, uh, uh, some some other potential colleagues, and and they just had trouble using G Suite. Like they just couldn't collaborate. They couldn't use collaborative tools. And like you know, I understand sometimes hyperlinks can get lost in your calendaring system, but like, like really, please quit making copies. You know, this actually literally happens. This is actually very dangerous. Is uh, this happened in a in a pharmaceutical context where this this drug company wanted some data to be migrated okay. uh, uh, into, into a new database. And um, and so they wanted to capture all of the data from the original the original data and move it over to a new system. This may sound like, oh, I just drag and drop. Well, when you have when these are billions of data points and petabytes of data, it's not quite so simple. Um, But what the company, the outsourcing company did instead of actually migrate the data is they made a copy of the data. So now there was two copies. Uh We didn't know know which one was the more accurate one, which one was the current one. We didn't know which one had the accurate, uh, maintained the accurate accurate fidelity. Um, And that can have uh, severe consequences in a pharmaceutical context. But that's a type of error that humans can make any time, but but can be really frustrating uh, if if what you're doing, if you're collapsing with me of what you did is copy it from uh, Google Docs into Word and then sent me an email attachment like I wanted to collaborate on this. Right, right? Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's a facility with technology and again this, is, this is, uh, it can be a pedantic uh, uh, level of basic understanding with technology uh, and many would kind of roll their eyes uh, but, but this, is, this is something we all need to be current with today mm-hmm. and current with 10 years from now a lot right. years. And, and, and for those that, that, that think oh I definitely know how to use technology, how many of us kind of poo poo those that use social media? That, that do use it. We, we, we oh. those that use it. We kind of say, oh boy, they're using the kids are using Twitter and Instagram, right?
1: Well, we say yeah. that, but we also are on it. <laughs> are and on it. and the, the,
3: the the point is, I guess we can say the new technologies we need to embrace and experiment with. We we may not use Snapchat, uh, you know, like like some of my nieces and nephews do, uh, but but experimenting with those sort of technologies, I think, could keep us young.
1: Yeah. No way. I- Completely agree. And I think one of the things that I've seen, particularly with my parents and their sort of generational cohort, is boomers have embraced the Internet and Facebook. I think they're more engaged with it than probably Gen Z. Yes. Which, to some degree, tells you a lot about the future of Facebook, but it also, you know, I think it's been healthy for them to go through that. Mm. Um, so explain to me, you know, when I think about someone like you, what is the normal career path, right? How do you sort of go from being in school, getting, you know, your doctorate and so on? Like, what is the career path here? Because you've done a lot of different things. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I may be unusual. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably not a template for many, uh, and, you know, having been in, in policy and in academic. The m a business. There's few people that have done all three at a at a high level, uh, and so I, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't suggest what I've done uh, to everybody. I I will invite as part of the larger systems intelligence of AI for people to be looking more broadly about the opportunities available to them, which is probably really what you're asking. Like how yeah. can I how can I grab on to this right. this revolution of AI? And and I'd say. Medicine actually supplies a pretty good metaphor here. You know, 100 years ago, we had some guy running up on a horse. You know, probably a guy. Uh, I'm the doctor. I'm the right. doctor, right? And, and that person would be super. And that's uh, medicine for us. You know, 100, 150 years ago. Well, today there is no such person. So there is no medical expert in that in quite the same sense. You know, we, we call people medical experts, but we have these specialties. We have innumerable variations of nursing now, it seems. We have, we have surgeons and family doctors. We have people doing medical ethics and, and people doing social medicine as a career. There are degrees in social medicine. That, so there are specializations that, that have no problem, or maybe they do have a problem, but they, they hand off work you know, between each other you know with some degree of regularity. Computer science shows us what this is going to look like in the future. So in the, in the early 80s, there was no such discipline as human computer interaction interaction the the Macintosh was invented and people thought oh that graphical user interface was a toy well mm. fast forward to 2019 and most venture capitalists have designers on staff yeah and that That's was just people couldn't have foreseen that in 1984 that is now a discipline from which you can get a doctorate you can become a professor human computer interaction it's just unfathomable that that degree of special Specialization in AI is going to make people like me uh, uh, maybe a little too abstract because you're going to have vision experts, you're going to have data bias experts, you'll you'll have algorithmic experts. I'm inventing terms here, right? But yeah. but you know we, we we do in in our AI companies today hire for these specializations. So the person that I hire to manage my storage subsystem will be different than my vision expert. But I think. For the rest of civilization who are not AI researchers or not in the in the world creating these products like I am, that I, I think we can look to get involved in one part of this totality of a system and find out how we can apply our human traits and our earned industry expertise into some of these domains.
1: So do you see a lot of young people, and particularly a lot of young women, expressing interest in going into AI?
3: This is, this is fantastic. So we're, we get, we get messed up um, uh, with this conversation so often. I get so frustrated when, when universities like, like my alma mater, Stanford, uh, they, they, they keep saying they're working on gender equality, working on gender equality, working on gender equality. But another one of my schools, Carnegie Mellon, actually went a long way to showing how this issue can be addressed. They, for the last few years, uh, have had an equal representation of women and men in their undergraduate computer science. And here's the kicker, without lowering standards. Right? So how did they do it? So how they did it is to, is, is in, in, in several ways. One way is they actually talked about computer science in a way that they realized would appeal to women. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, men, like me, might be attracted by video games. They might be attracted by visions of people uh, hunkering away in a, in, a, in a basement. What we found was that the women computer programmers would tend to want to know, well, what's the meaning behind this? How can I actually make the world a better place? I wanted some context for it. So it's, uh, you know, women will historically go into uh, places like human-computer interaction, but they'll also go into other other uh, you know, d- domains. We just hired a, a, a graduate of mathematics uh, from UC Berkeley, happens to be a woman, and you know, I, you know, she gets motivated when she thinks, well, what's the bigger value uh, that, that can be created? How am I making the world a better place for computer science? How am I connecting? Yeah, how, so how can I emphasize this instead of just talking about technical speeds and feeds? That's, that's one, kind of the contextual way. Another way is we pay more attention to the women. The, when when, when women apply uh, you, you may actually get a personalized phone call uh, and 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 know that you can handle it in another another way we did it is we had a support group so the the largest social group inside of Carnegie Mellons computer science school is women in computer science oh, wow. uh, and, and so you you know you have a social group once you're there like oh, okay I, I, I can I can see myself there I can see a community there I can I can work with others and and I know I'll succeed because the the historically, you know, you know, my my the stereotype that I've developed is kind of, you know, men way before they they deserve to will say that I can do something,
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> right? And, right. And women are much, you know, t- traditionally just much more hesitant. So the you know, Carnegie Mellon created a structure where, the the, the women were quali- that were qualified that they admitted were told. Uh, we, we, you know, very more explicitly than the men. You are qualified. We selected you because you're qualified. Which women yeah. need
1: to hear? It's yeah. just how we think. We want to be perfect before we get. or We want everything to be just right before we get to the next. Yeah. Level. So there's several
3: ways in which this can this can be expressed. Uh, I, I my company we have a difficulty because uh, we we as humans will tend to uh, rec- recruit or seek out or just find people in our friendship network that are like us. Yeah. And I can I can see that tendency and. And, and for those of us who, who've had the good fortune of, 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 of being in the place, of being in a company where we're hiring, I, I have to fight that resistance and uh, or fight, fight that ur- ur- urgence, uh, that, that impulse, uh, and look for other systems to counteract it.
1: That, that's amazing. I'd love to hear how it turns out for Carnegie Mellon. and Hopefully, Stanford will follow the same path. Hopefully, Stanford will. So in our final moments, you know, I ask a lot of our guests this, and you're very data driven. Um, what is the best financial advice you've ever received?
3: The best financial results I have, I have ever received. I guess I'm now thinking whether this, is in the context of a of a person or or a. Uh, or a company, I'll say for an individual, um, what I've noticed kind of as as an abstraction is how uh, uh, early on, the most valuable thing for us is our work and our brains. Mm -hmm. And what's the most valuable thing as we get older is our money. And that's an expression of how the risks need to be adjusted. So uh, at a younger age, I need to be spending money, uh, maybe even spending more money than I think might be appropriate for education and for learning uh, to be building up my capacity uh, to earn money. And that that switches uh, somewhat uh, as I get older. I guess that's, that, that's a, as an abstraction.
1: I love that. That's so different. It's you know, investing yeah. in the career path.
3: Yeah. I, I think as an individual, I think I uh, – this is probably speaking – to, uh, to Scottish heritage, or, or, or my mother's just uh, general frugality, but, but the, the, uh, the nature of frugality I think I try to bring to uh, uh, every company. I, I, I am not of the current fashion, or maybe the fashion that's currently fading, of, of losing money uh, forever and then we'll figure it out later. You know, my, my company is focused on revenue, real value, real customers, and, 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 a, and a profitable future.
1: So, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. We've really enjoyed having you and learning about AI. I I still have a thousand questions. I could have you here for hours. Um, But tell folks where they can find out more about you and your speaking career and so on, Twitter, Instagram.
3: Yeah, thanks. So, uh, Eric Daimler is usually the the handle, uh, E-R-I-C-D-A-I-M-L-E-R. Twitter, I'm at E-A-D, just Eric Alexander Daimler. And then, uh, uh, gosh, you can also... uh, always connect with me uh, through our our company, connexus.ai.
1: Wonderful. And Eric is an amazing speaker. You can also see him online speaking about this topic, and he speaks all over the country and actually all over the world. So if you ever get a chance, definitely go hear him speak. Um, So again, um, join us next week. um, And if you want to have any feedback... For me, I am at Wealth Intersect on Twitter and at the Wealth Intersection on Instagram, or you can email me at Megan at the Until then, thank you.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to The Wealth Intersection. Megan Gorman will be back with another program next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then.